Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And that your word goes forth into all the world. We thank you that we ourselves have heard your word. And quickened by your Holy Spirit, we have responded in faith. Grant, Lord, today that your word might be preached here in order that your word might be preached there. May your word go out and may it bear much fruit. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning to you. Back in 2006, I spent a summer in Panama City Beach, Florida, working in the meat market of a Publix supermarket. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Panama City Beach before. I assume that most of you have not. But if you haven't, uh, truthfully, I think you're better off. We lovingly referred to it as the Redneck Riviera. And it was a, a bit of a dump. So why was I there? Well, I and another hundred or so college students were there with a ministry called Campus Outreach. And we were there, you know, crazy college students who were giving up our entire summer so that we could spend two to three months of intensive training on discipleship and evangelism. In the evenings, we would study together and learn from different teachers that were brought in, but during the day, we would work normal jobs. It was a requirement. And the place I found a job was at Publix in the supermarket. Uh, me and another one of my uh, fellow college students named James. Now, I learned that the meat market is a really interesting place to work. Um, from our first day there, it was clear to James and I, uh, at least from the colorful language and the subject matter of conversation, that we were probably the only Christians who worked there. We did enjoy our coworkers, though, had a good time, but we took seriously the call to love on them and to be a witness to them in any way that we could, not as projects, but as people. Now, this supermarket had the meat market in which I worked, and right next door there was a sushi bar, and that sushi bar was considered part of the meat market. And the same guy, every single day that that meat market was open, the same guy was working there in that sushi bar, making sushi in this remarkable uh, tradition that's been around for a really long time. And the guy's name was Norman. And Norman was different from everyone else who worked in the meat market in just about every way. He was quiet. He hardly ever said a word. He was also as hardworking as they come. He never stopped. If the meat market crew were like rowdy NASCAR fans, and they were, then Norman was like a serious chess player, very different. Now, aside from his demeanor, uh, Norman's appearance was also quite different. He was short, thin, and dark-skinned. I knew he was Asian. I just couldn't tell what country he was from. And I was intrigued by Norman, and I really wanted to know who this guy was. And so uh, one day I, I asked him to go to lunch. And eventually what I hoped for is that our conversation would lead to the place where I could speak about Jesus and about who he is and what he has done for Norman. 
Well, Norman agreed, and so one day we took a lunch break, and we just, you know, walked down the, I don't know, the, the uh, canned goods aisle to the cafe by the deli, and we sat down at a table to have lunch and to talk, and I asked Norman about his life. I was really curious, and in that conversation, I shared them some things about my life. And as we talked, what I found out was that Norman was already a Christian. He had been a Christian for a really long time, actually, his whole life, even before he emigrated to the United States. And his story was a little bit unbelievable. It was fascinating. And I'm going to make, make you wait for it. I'm going to share the rest of that a little bit later on. Today, all across the United States and in Canada and in Mexico, our Anglican brothers and sisters are giving our collective focus to God's call, call to take the gospel to the nations. This is an intentional choice. And I, for one, am grateful to our College of Bishops who have chosen to make this an official Sunday on an annual basis in the ACNA. And there are a couple of reasons why I'm so glad for this. And perhaps these are some of the bishops' reasons, maybe even your reasons as well. First and foremost, as we know, we say it often, missions is at the heart of God. We can't talk about World Mission Sunday without speaking about God's heart for mission. Mission is central to God's character and his purposes in the world, and thus rightly so. Mission is one of our three core commitments here at Living Faith, life, love, and mission. God's mission, as succinctly as I can put it, is this, to rescue human beings from sin and death and to create them into a new people who will worship and dwell with him forever. That's as brief as I can make it. The whole story of the Bible is about this mission. We see that there is a loss in Genesis chapter 3. Humans are lost. And by the end of that story, humans are found, brought back to God. We saw God's mission in the Old Testament reading for today from Genesis 12, where God makes a promise to Abraham in order that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We saw God's mission in the psalm for today when the psalmist proclaims, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. We saw God's mission in the New Testament reading from Revelation, where we get that picture of the vast multitude from every tribe and nation of the earth standing before Christ's throne and worshiping. And we heard Jesus himself today telling his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is the Great Commission, co-mission. It's God's mission in which we are called to participate with him together. Brothers and sisters, if we are not seeing God's mission when we read the Bible, I'm here to tell you we're not reading it right. It's all over the pages of the scriptures. And it's the reason that any of us are here this morning. A second reason I am so glad for World Mission Sunday 
is because historically, God's people have tended to be inwardly focused. Now, I'm not saying that we are completely selfish, but we are prone to become insular, to be concerned about the things in our lives and the things in our churches, and not really about the things outside of our lives and outside of our churches. Now, we're not alone in this, of course. All humans tend to be this way, pretty self-centered, something that God is working to redeem us out of. But also consider our spiritual ancestors, the people of God in Israel. Time and time again, the prophets, God, indicted the people for their lack of concern for the nations. They often thought God only cared about saving them, and they were wrong. They were wrong. God saved them to save the nations. It's similar with us. Once we get saved and brought into the people of God, it can be easy for us to feel like that's all that God was after. Like, mission accomplished, God, here, here I am. As lovingly as I can say it, you and I are not enough for God. We're not enough. God is after so much more than you and me. And that's been true since he first made the promise to Abraham to bless the nations. Now, I am not saying that individual Christians don't matter to God. I'm not saying that. You absolutely do matter to God. Christ died for you personally. And I'm not saying that caring about our own lives and our own church isn't important. It's essential. Ministry in the local congregation, ministry out of churches like Living Faith, is critical. We have to care for our children, for our teenagers, for the single people in our midst, for those who are married, for those who are widowed, for the elderly, and everyone here with their unique gifts and challenges. This is the body of Christ, our family. And we need to care for those in our community, in our sphere of influence right here, for the poor, for orphans, for university students, for the homeless, for refugees. All of that local ministry is of critical importance to God's kingdom. What I am saying this morning is that world missions is also essential. When you compare the two, local ministry and world missions, can you guess which one is woefully neglected by the church? World missions. For example, the average American Christian gives 2.5% of their income to the local church. 2.5%. The average American church gives 2% of the tithes and offerings it receives to the cause of world mission. Here's what that means. For every $100 that we as American Christians make, we give five cents through the local church to the cause of world missions. Five cents on $100. It can't be 
can't be because it doesn't reflect God's heart for the world. It just doesn't. And thus we want to remedy that imbalance. World Mission Sunday is just one small step in that direction. A third reason why World Mission Sunday is so critical is because the task of taking the gospel to the nations is so incredibly far from being completed. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 24. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. There are roughly 7.8 billion people in the world right now, and you know that number is growing rapidly. Approximately 10% of them, 0.78 billion people, are devoted followers of Christ, actively living lives of faith. 10%. About 1.72 billion people, 22% of the world, are nominal Christians, meaning in name only, which I would say is not Christian at all. That leaves about 5.3 billion people, or 68% of the world, who are not Christians and don't pretend to be Christians. Of those 5.3 billion people, 3.12 billion of them have heard of Jesus, but have not accepted him as Lord and Savior. The other 2.18 billion have never been exposed to Jesus, never heard of the gospel. And I want that just to sink in for a moment. This group of 2.8 billion people, it's more than three times the number of active Christians in the world. Just this one group, 2.8 billion people. In this group, 2.18 billion people who have never heard largely represent the unreached people groups of the world. Now, what's a people group? A people group is a group of people who share a common history, language, culture, and identity. And there are more than 16,000 people groups in the world today. Some will put that number higher, some will place that number lower, but approximately 16,000. Now, here's what an unreached people group is it is a people group which does not have access to the gospel at all all, at all, and thus cannot evangelize themselves. These are people who have no church, not a single one, no Christian, singular, no Bible, no missionary. Of the 16,000 people groups in the world, 7,400 of them fit that definition of unreached. Those 7,400 people groups add up to 3.23 billion people who will be born, who will live, and who will die without ever having a single chance to hear the gospel. They won't even get to say no. Now listen, I, I know a billion doesn't sound like a big number anymore. Elon Musk is worth $185 billion dollars. The, the latest COVID relief package we're talking about is $1.9 trillion. These things make numbers kind of meaningless. 
But we are not talking about $3.23 billion here. We're talking about $3.23 billion wonderfully created and yet tragically lost human beings. Human beings. God's heart breaks for the people he has made, all of them. And God's purposes in God's word are quite clear to reach the unreached people groups of the world. You see, Jesus told his apostles just as he was leaving in Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus was giving his followers a picture of how the church was to be always moving out. Always moving out. Jerusalem is like our hometown. And Judea is like our region. And Samaria is like our neighboring region. And the ends of the earth are like the ends of the earth. And God's people are giving their best energy to Jerusalem and to Judea and sometimes to Samaria. But we are largely missing the ends of the earth. It can't be. Why is it this way? Why, after 2,000 years, are there still ends of the earth to be reached? Here's what I mean. I mean, this is God's mission, after all. It's not our mission. It's God's mission. Can't God make it to the ends of the earth himself? Why does he even need us? Right? Is he weak? Is he incompetent? Is he a cosmic Goldman Sachs who needs us to bail him out on this whole taking the gospel to the nations thing? The reason it's this way is because in God's sovereign plan, God's will, and in his gracious work of redemption, he has called his people to be the means through which the world is reached. That means us. Listen to what missiologist Christopher Wright says. The whole Bible renders to us a story of God's mission through God's people. Through God's people. In their engagement with God's world for the sake of God's whole creation. I'm going to read that again. The whole Bible renders to us a story of God's mission through God's people. In their engagement with God's world and for the sake of of God's whole creation. Redeeming humanity is at the center of God's mission, and just so is using redeemed human beings to spread that mission. Does that make sense? Not a single person in this room came to faith in Christ and experienced God's redemption apart from another believer or believers who has been living on mission. Not one of us. Even the person who came to faith simply by reading the scriptures was led to Jesus by those apostolic authors who wrote the New Testament as they were living on mission. And by those English translators who took the Greek and made it understandable as they were living on mission 
to Jesus. Don't we see? Who led you to Christ? Who made it possible for you to experience and receive the gospel? Think. What people? God's mission inspired that person or those people to share with you. And that is meant to inspire you to share the gospel with others. Does it make you feel guilty? Sometimes it makes me feel guilty. In fact, that's what a lot of people think about when they think of world missions sermons. Making God's people feel guilty about all they haven't done. Here's the thing. It is not about guilt. Guilt is a worthless motivator. It's not of God. Now, while it is true that many of us should feel a measure of guilt for our apathy towards God's mission, we are to take that guilt to the foot of the cross and leave it there. And it is from the cross that we are to go out on God's mission, but not motivated by guilt, but by something else altogether. And let me suggest two motivators for our participation in God's mission. Here's the first. God's glory. God's glory. You see, God cares about his glory more than anything else. Everything he does is for his own glory. Now, that can be a hard thing for us humans to wrap our minds around because it makes God look so self-centered, doesn't it? I mean, that's a vice, right? Now, but listen, it, if God is supremely holy and glorious as we believe he is, and as he himself says he is, then what else should he be centered on except himself? God is right to care about his own glory. He is the greatest thing in all the universe, the greatest treasure, the most valuable thing there. God is right. And therefore, aren't we right as God's finite creatures made to bear his image when we care about God's glory above all other things as well? Yes. Worship, as we've been talking about for the last several weeks, has to do with giving that glory back to God. Pastor and theologian John Piper has famously said that missions exists because, I'm sorry, worship exists, excuse me, really botching this. Ready? I'm going to start it all over again. <laughs> missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions exists because worship doesn't. It's not famous enough, evidently. Couldn't memorize five words. Missions exist because worship doesn't. What does he mean? What does he mean by that? What he means is God is not presently being worshipped as he should. And as a result, 
God's mission is to bring humanity back into God's glory that he might be worshipped like he deserves. If God was being worshipped as he is worthy of, we wouldn't need missions. But we do need missions. Here at Living Faith, we often sing this song together. You are worthy of the songs of a thousand tongues. I want to encourage you, don't picture a thousand people singing with their tongues. Don't picture that. Think of a vast number of people singing in a thousand languages. That's what God is worthy of. The songs of all the languages of the world. Every tongue. And that's exactly what God is after. And therefore, we are right when our motivating force for mission is God's glory. The second reason is God's love. God's glory and God's love. Perhaps the most well-known verse in the scripture is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves the world, the world, all of it. This is why Christ came from a far-off place in order to dwell among us and to preach the gospel to us. And it is the reason that Christians go from far-off places in order to dwell among those who do not know the gospel and to preach to them. The incarnation is inherently missional, and God's people are to be missionally incarnate among the people of the world. We engage in mission because God loves us and God loves his world, and we engage in mission because we love God and we love God's world. This is the driving force. This is the reason we care about missions. And it's not guilt. Christ has taken away our guilt. We go out of glory and out of love. Adoniram Judson was born in my birth state of Massachusetts in 1788, almost 200 years before I was. When he was in his early 20s, he became so convinced of the biblical call to take the gospel to the nations that he decided to leave everything behind, to leave the U.S. and to become a missionary. Long term, the rest of his life. In 1812, Adoniram and his wife, Anne, set out for India. They didn't end up staying there very long. The, the British East India Company didn't actually want them there. And so they ended up traveling on to Rangoon, which was the capital city of Burma, which is modern-day Myanmar. And from there, Adoniram and Anne made their home. They learned the Burmese language. They adapted to the local culture. And after doing that, Adoniram began a preaching ministry of evangelism. And he started a Baptist church there in Rangoon. But for so many years, his progress was breathtakingly slow. So slow. After 12 years of ministry, 12 years, think about that. Where were you 12 years ago? 
12 years of ministry, Judson had only led 18 people to Christ. Now, 18 people is 18 people. Let's be clear about that. That's wonderful. But most people would give up after 12 years if that's all they had to show for it. But Adoniram pressed on. Only a few years later, he won more converts. And he began to train some of them to be local pastors. And he also opened some schools. Thirteen years after he first arrived in Rangoon, he published a complete Burmese dictionary. They didn't have one. Another eight years after that, so 21 years after first stepping foot in Burma, he had completed the first Burmese translation of the entire Bible. The entire Bible. Do you know what God did? What God did? What God did through Adoniram's faithful efforts? By the time of his death, nearly 40 years after landing in Burma, he had planted more than 100 churches, totaling more than 8,000 Christians. Even more than that, if that weren't remarkable enough, those churches grew and planted new churches. And as a result, Judson's missionary work can be tied to more than 500,000 Christians. 500,000 among the Burman and Karen peoples. To this day, present day, Myanmar has the third largest population of Baptists in the whole world. Judson's story is inspiring. And the reason I share it with you today is because of Norman. You see, as I sat across the table and had lunch with this guy named Norman, I found out he was from Myanmar. And when he told me that he was a Christian, I was surprised. It's like I, I didn't know there were Christians there. And I asked how he had become a Christian. And Norman told me that, that his parents were Christians, and that their parents were Christians, and that their parents were Christians, and that their parents were Christians. You see, Norman's ancestors were Burmese people who encountered this crazy guy named Adoniram Judson, who was motivated by God's glory and by God's love, and in meeting this man, they accepted Christ. And the reason I sat across the table from Norman the follower of Jesus and not Norman from the unreached peoples of Burma was because of Adoniram Judson. If that doesn't get you going, check your pulse. If you have a pulse, God wants to use you to further his mission in the world. We, brothers and sisters, are God's plan A. There is no plan B. God's mission is for us to join in. I think we all know what to do already. I don't think you need me to stand up here and tell you all the things that you could do and care about. We know we need to pray generously for the cause of world missions. 
We know that we need to give generously to the cause of world missions. And we know that we need to go generously for the cause of world missions. We know these things. What God's people need is to do these things. We need to do these things. People are at stake. Billions of them, like you, like me, and like Norman. We need God's glory and God's love to light a fire in our souls so that we will actually be his witnesses to the end of the earth. God's glory and God's love, not our guilt. If, with courage and conviction, we catch God's vision for the nations, who knows? Maybe years from now, someone will be sitting across the table from a foreigner, hearing a story about how God used you to lead his ancestors to faith in Christ. Who knows? What could God do in and through you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your glory and for your love the reasons we've been redeemed. We pray, Jesus, for the courage and the conviction to hear your words and to obey them. Let us not be just hearers, but doers. May we know your truth and may we do your truth. Holy Spirit, empower your people to live this Jesus way. Gift your people for the cause of world mission and challenge them to give themselves to you to see what you can do. This we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.